Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Isn't It Lovely podcast, where we seek to shine the light on all that is lovely. I am Tracy. And I am Rachel. And we were so honored to sit down this week with Angela Kennecke for an amazing conversation about her beautiful daughter, Emily, a tremendous light in this world whose life was tragically cut short by fentanyl poisoning. In her honor, Angela has created Emily's Hope, a foundation that is set up to provide support for those who are suffering from substance use disorder. I was so impacted by this conversation, Rachel. I just love sitting down with her. With her, She was so candid with us. And I loved speaking about Emily when she was alive. And I love watching what Angela is doing to maintain her legacy and to continue to shine her light in this world. The one thing that I really took away was that Angela is on a mission to replace the stigma that is associated with substance use disorder and replacing it with compassion instead of judgment. And that just really matches what we want to do here with Isn't It Lovely podcast of just providing empathy for others and their Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a beautiful conversation. And having walked through an unimaginable grief, she comes with wisdom for how to keep your heart open. And both you and I were just so struck by and so grateful for her open-heartedness toward us. She could not have been more warm, more wonderful, more willing to share about her beautiful daughter and to celebrate her. And the conversation really felt like a celebration of Emily. And we are just so grateful to have been a part of it. I couldn't agree more. We hope you guys love this episode. Just cannot thank you enough for being here today. We're so happy to be with you. And we're so excited to talk about your beautiful daughter, Emily. One of the questions that we love to ask the guests on our podcast is what lights you up? What gives you purpose, meaning what drives you? And so we would love to know more about Emily. What would you say lit her up? Emily was a light. Mm. She was amazing. Honestly, I've talked about this many times, but... She, in, in my eyes, she was beautiful and she was artistically gifted. She was athletically gifted. She was intellectually gifted and she was so enthusiastic about life and also a bit fearless, um, which can also have a, a negative side to it, obviously, but she wanted to try everything and experience everything. And it was like, it was almost like she knew she was going to run out of time because she just wanted to take all of the world in and do it all. So for example, when she was in first grade, she wanted to learn the violin and she pestered me forever until I got her violin lessons and she learned the violin. And then she played the cello and um, was just really involved in that. And then, you know, she did ballet, she did gymnastics, she did track and did hurdles, she did cheer. I mean, every, and she, this was all her. None of it was me. I wasn't this parent, you know, forcing this child to do all these, because I was really busy too. And then trying to manage her schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, She just, and and traveling and, you know, she wanted to just do everything. And I, she got to do a lot. That is one thing I'm really grateful for was that she got to do so many things in her short life. But yeah. I loved seeing her in her Dakota spirit um, cheerleading uniform. She did do a lot. Gymnastics, yeah. Dakota Spirit, her sweet dog. I was, she was such a versatile woman. Yeah. And she, then her art. Yes. And, and she loved animals. I mean, she had a lot of things she was passionate about. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Of we, course. We want to know about her. And I know you've said that she, you have said, I don't want to remember her just by her death. And we just want to remember her and speak about her and keep that light. How you said, just going and I love talking about her. So thank you for that. 
we talked a little bit off mic, Angela, about your blog and your writing is stunningly beautiful and we can feel your emotion as you're writing and it speaks to your journalism background. How has writing been therapeutic to you? So I started writing when I was in elementary school. My mom was actually a writer and then later a college professor, teacher, mm. writer, teacher, later college professor. And she encouraged me to write. And I started writing creatively very, very young. Um, and then I decided at age 12, I wanted to go into journalism and wanted to be the one. And now here I am answering your questions. <laughs> I love but it. I wanted to be the one asking the questions. Tables are turned. <laughs> yeah. Um, really wanted to do that. And I always say the basis of a good journalism is a solid writing background. I mean, I don't care what medium you're going into. You have to be a good writer and a good storyteller. And I love telling people stories and I love writing. And it just, I would say that it comes through me. I, I just feel like these words come onto the, it used to be the paper right now onto the screen through, it comes through me. It's not necessarily from me. Mm. Uh, it's just, I, things kind of ramble around in my head. And then I'm like, in fact, I have an idea for a blog right now that's been sort of, you know, tripping around in there and I just need to sit down and let it pour out because it will. I don't have to like work at it. Mm. It's, it's something I, it's hard for me to put into words, but when I go out and I gather a news story, for example, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do the research and to interview all the people and then to log all the interviews. And then I sit down and it just kind of comes together magically almost. Um, so maybe that's a gift you know, that I have. Oh, and, absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's a versatile gift because I can use it, you know, for storytelling in lots of different ways and writing in lots of different ways. And I did finally write a book, which was my goal for a long time. And so I was glad I was able to do that. And a biography, which is natural for a reporter. Yes. Can you tell us about that? Tell us how that came about. Yeah. So I was working on one of the biggest investigative stories of my career, which was the gear up scandal in South Dakota. And I worked on that story for three years and it brought me to Platt, South Dakota, many, many times for your audience that may not know, um, a father killed his, um, wife and four children after it was discovered that he had been, been embezzling money from this grant. But the problems and the issues with this grant, it was through, it was an educational grant from the U S department of education. And it was supposed to help native American children go to college and there is no data, there are some anecdotal stories, but there's no data to show that a single Native American student went to college because of this. I saw it as a giant money grab. But anyway, I'm working on this very fascinating story um, that impacted the whole state and so many people in it. And I met this guy in Platt, South Dakota, who asked me to write his book. And he was trying to help the kids at the time. And I was like, uh, maybe? <laughs> And so, and so then I just thought about it and I'm a spiritual person. So I prayed about it and I, I just thought, yeah, I need to do this. And, and I did. And I have these, first of all, he's amazing and his wife is amazing and they're goofy as heck, but uh, especially <laughs> him, not his wife so much, um, but I love him to death. And now they donate all the proceeds from the book back to Emily's Hope, which is a fantastic thing. That is so awesome. And tell us the name of the book again. The Day His Heart Stopped Crying. Day is it. Which was his title. We got in a big fight about the title. <laughs> I wrote the whole book and he didn't ever question me. And you know, he'd tell me his stories and I would, you know, interpret them and then write them. And then I had a whole other name for it. He's like, nope, this is what the title is. And <laughs> he won. So <laughs> it is your story. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right. 
Did you enjoy that? Pro- I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I really want to know about this book. No, keep did going. Did you enjoy that process of writing a book and do you see yourself doing it again? I, I did and I do. The issue I have right now, it took me about nine months to write that book and to put it all together. And then Emily did the cover art for it. That was the other thing that makes it so special. Sure. Um, and so we were able to work on that together. I want to write another book about what I've been through um, with Emily and starting the nonprofit and some of the things I've learned about addiction along the way. I don't have the time right now. Mm-hmm. I, if I have, when, when I have the time, I will be writing a book. But right now I'm writing blogs kind of in place of writing a book. Yes. Maybe I can gather all those blogs together and, and expand on those and use those as a, you know, for a book. Amazing. And your blogs are completely captivating. Mm -hmm. We had actually been texting really late. I think it was like one in the morning. (laughs) We had started, we're like, oh, so we're so excited to hear her story in her own words. Let's read these blogs. And we would be texting. And then it was just like, I would read one. I was like, well, I have to, I have to know the next thing. And it was just, this story was just so captivating. So in addition to your blog, you have a podcast, Grieving Out Loud. You won Emmy Awards for your story on the opioid crisis here on the Great Plains. You've done, you've started Emily's Hope, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but what gave you the motivation to put one foot in front of the other after everything that you had been through? You've launched all these beautiful passion projects, but what gave you that motivation that you could keep going? Well, at first, to be honest, I didn't know that I would be able to keep going. I would not wish the death of a child on anyone. And I just felt I was on the floor, I mean, like every parent is uh, who loses a child. And I was also suffering from terrible anxiety initially, like just to go out in public anywhere. I, I couldn't do it. And I just didn't, I didn't even know if I'd be able to go back to work, you know, and do my very public job, let alone, you know, talk about it, about what happened. So I was able to take some time off, which I'm very grateful for because not everybody can and not every employer is as understanding as my employer. So I I was lucky that way. But I think what happened, and I always say this, is that I didn't have some kind of miracle after her death, but my miracle came in other people. Love kept showing up. People kept showing up to come by my side and to help me and to help me through things And that is kind of how the nonprofit was started. It was just like a little bug was put in my ear, like, hey, what what if Emily's artwork was used in this new Avera Addiction Care Center? And I was like, huh? Oh, I like that idea. And then I thought, well, what if I raise some money to help people in her name go through treatment? And Avera was like, we'll take your money. (laughs) And uh, and, and so it was just things, small things like that. But I think... This, I, this is not an original, this is not my original thought. I heard it somewhere and I wish I could tell you ladies where I heard it. I use it when I speak because I think it really captivates or captures how I feel about things. Everybody gets pushed down into the pit. Every single person, you're going to get pushed down. If you live long enough, something is going to happen to you or your family or it doesn't have to be death. It, there's lots of things. Um, and when people get pushed down into the pit, I always say there are bouncers and there are splatterers and people who some people just splatter at the bottom of that pit and other people bounce back up and I always say I want to be the bouncer I want to be the person who's able to rise above that pit of grief or whatever it is and 
And I think about that a lot. Like I, I just have to do something and it helps me a lot to do uh, what I do in my daughter's name. So helping other people, knowing that 150 people have received treatment because of Emily's Hope Scholarships, like that is, it's almost selfish. That helps me, you know, cope with the fact that my daughter's not here anymore, that like we're doing good in her name and her art is being preserved in many ways. And that helps too. like her, her, she lives on through those things. And that's why, that's how I was able to do it really. And I think a lot of years of, I always say every reporter has PTSD because we see the, I mean, I remember the first drowning I went to when I'm like 22 seeing, you know, a body being pulled and oh, I've seen all kinds of horrible things and you just have to keep, you know, presenting it and be unemotional. So I'm very well trained in how to kind of compartmentalize. So I always say I'm, I'm able to do it. I can do it. I have the platform to do it. If I don't do it, who else is going to do it? And I really firmly believe we have to stop the stigma of addiction. Absolutely. It's not a moral failing. It's not a weakness. It's a, it's a disease of the mm-hmm. brain. And some people are more susceptible to it than others. And just because you don't have it doesn't mean that it's not real and doesn't exist. And so if we can do those things, if we can, well, if we can prevent people from becoming addicted in the first place, and I can talk more about that in a minute if you'd like. Absolutely. And if we can get people treatment and then if we can, you know, get, just get rid of the stigma that it's just like any other mental health issue or heart disease or diabetes or whatever. Um, I'm very passionate about that. Absolutely. Wow. That is such a beautiful just kind of mission that you're on. And I don't know if this is a Bible verse. I don't know where I got this. Isn't it? It's annoying to me when I can't remember the source. <laughs> you just well, said that too. I'm I, like, uh, where did I, that come I, from? I, I don't remember that source, yes. but I, it just stuck with me. Yes. Yeah. This is living in my mind, but uh, a wounded healer, when we've been wounded and we have the ability now to speak to a situation that we never had the authority to speak into, and now we can be a healer in that. So I hear that coming from you. And I hear you saying the stigma, and you've also said something of you want to take away the judgment and replace it with compassion. How do we do that, Angela? I, I think we do it by telling people's stories. And by that, that's really what I try to do with the podcast, especially, yeah. is to tell people's stories. So I think we end stigma by making other people realize this is someone's daughter, son, mother, father, aunt, uncle. This is a real human being who has, has so many gifts and talents and so much to give to the world. I think that's the first way we start getting rid of the stigma mm-hmm. is to make people understand this is a human being, you know, with all of the failings and, and attributes that a lot of other people have, right? And then I think we have to change how we treat it in this country. So that's the big job part. Uh, we send way, I mean, our prisons, 98% of people are there because of addiction issues. And we don't treat the addiction once they're there. We don't treat it. So I think we have to have a shift and a societal shift where we treat this whole problem differently. Now that's more than just me and more than just Emily's hope. Um, But at least if people, if I'm talking about it and other people feel comfortable enough to talk about it because I spoke about it, it'll just be that snowball effect. I really think that. And the other thing I wanted to add um, is that after you experience um, a, a horrific loss, you, when I talk about bouncing and splattering, you'll also have a choice if you are going to remain open-hearted or not. And many, many people do close their heart. And I can understand why they do that. 
and, and, they, and that cut leads to bitterness, you know, isolation, lots of other troubles. But if you can remain open-hearted, I think that's where the miracles really happen and take place. So tremendously beautiful. And another thing that is so amazing that you've done, Angela, and we learned this from reading your blogs, is there are people who directly contributed to your loss of Emily. And when they were being held accountable for those actions, I can only imagine how difficult this was. But you met them with grace and you wanted them to get help so they could turn their lives around. And that was so stunning to me that you would meet them with that grace and that desire for a better life. And I think leading by example, it's just extraordinary. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Could you tell us more about Emily's Hope and how people can get involved and how they can support Emily's Hope? So Emily's Hope, as I told you, is helping people with treatment scholarships And we've just expanded our treatment scholarships to the new adolescent Avera Addiction Care Center. We've just committed $100,000 there for that. We committed $250,000 for adult treatments at the Avera Addiction Care Center, where I've told you 150 people have gotten help um, or have received those scholarships. More than 150 people have gotten help, but that's how many have received the scholarships. And we're going to help the adolescents with their scholarships. And that's going to happen in the spring. And then the other thing that we're doing is we've started an education initiative. And this I am super passionate about because I have this this idea and I have a lot of people that have come beside me. I'm not doing this alone. I've had college professors, principals, uh, teachers, drug and alcohol counselors, a superintendent, um, a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And they're all on my education committee. And we are writing prevention curriculum, K through 12, but focusing right now as we start on the third grade. So we feel that we really have to get to our children the message at a younger age. We all know about DARE. We all know it didn't necessarily work as well as people had hoped, and it didn't start until the fifth grade. Well, in today's world, if you don't get to kids before the fifth grade, I mean, everything is on their phones and the access to everything. And so we have to teach kids in age-appropriate ways. This is what medication is. This is what, you know, certain medications can do to your brain. This is what happens if you take someone else's or take too much. We're going to deal with the whole child. We're going to deal with emotional trauma, um, peer pressure, things like that. And But in age-appropriate ways, we're doing an animated series. And I'm trying to raise money right now for all of that because this is all going to cost money. Um, but I'm just really, you know, we've got some literature for kids and we're working on the lesson plans right now. And we have a school we're going to pilot it in next fall. So wow. I'm so excited because I don't want any other mother to go through what I have been through. And I just think if I can, and I have a little bit of an anecdotal reason for all this. When Emily was in third grade, Kelloland News did a special about meth. I anchored that special and did a couple stories in it. And uh, we, I think we recorded it and played it later because I remember I made Emily watch it. And she was so opposed to meth her entire life, even though she was using heroin when she died and it was laced with fentanyl. She didn't know that. I always think it's um, drug-induced homicide. But you know, she, she would experiment and try all these other drugs, but she would never touch meth. And I just think like, that age, like she learned, and we, we showed the before and after photos. We told real stories 
with nothing, not, nothing. I'm not talking about scaring kids, you know, no. yeah. but I just think we have to get to them younger. And so that they can understand, especially it's so frightening to me what's in the drug supply now. There's fentanyl oh, and everything. Absolutely. And you can experiment once with illegal marijuana and it can be laced with fentanyl. Yeah. You know, and we can't have it. We can't, we can't think that's a rite of passage for our kids anymore. No. We can't think, oh, when we were young, we did this or we are, I have a cousin that did that and they're fine. We cannot, we cannot do that anymore. So since we can't seem to stop the fentanyl from coming into this country and we can't seem to stop drugs from all drugs from being laced with it, then we have to teach our kids not to touch them. You know, outstanding. And as young mothers, we are so thankful that you're doing this work. I have a fourth grader right now and you are so right. Their little minds are so moldable right now. You tell them something and they're still soaking it up and they're listening. We still have the power. And they want to protect their brains. Yes. They do. You know, especially at that age now, you know, once adolescent hormones and things settle in, things can change. But if we can, if we can, you know, create this impression early on, I think it's so important. Absolutely. And nobody's really doing that at the elementary school level right now. No. I, I, there were, I I was at a conference in DC and there were the nation's like four drug czars were on the stage together for the first time. And they were giving out all these awards for prevention programs and they were all from middle and high school. Mm. And I stood up because it's me. And I said, yay, yeah. <laughs> we love you. Thank God Is it's anyone you. <laughs> doing anything at the elementary school level? And they all yes. said, not that we know of. Mm. You know, we don't have anything that we don't know of. And so, and, and, you know, we do have to teach no use and, you know, no use of anything until the age of 21 to protect your brain. But, you know, that's another thing that's already, that's being done now, but. Yeah, I think getting to kids younger is so important. I agree. Well, and here's what I think is so extraordinary about you. Like, there you were in that setting, and I love that you stood up and asked the question. They gave you the answer. You came back, and you said, okay, what are we going to do about it? If not us, then who? Right. And I love that that became an initiative for you. That's right. amazing. Well, and I was just like, how do I do this? And so I just started calling people, and all these these people came beside me on this committee. They don't have to do it, you know, but they want to, and and, and they see the need. And they're much more qualified than I am, you know, to write education curriculum. So I'm, I'm just really lucky I've got this group of people. Has that been so encouraging to see how people are willing to come alongside you? Yes, that's what I say. Like love just shows up. Like we do a mm. poker run and I would never have thought to do a poker run. I'm not really a motorcycle rider, but my husband likes <laughs> motorcycles. Um, you know, it's not really like who I am, but uh, I love all of our motorcycle riders. They're amazing. And there's a huge, you know, um, sober community within motorcycle, motorcyclists. And um, this guy who I had helped his dad um, get a Purple Heart, who had been overlooked and hadn't gotten, a, gotten his Purple Heart. And he has since died. Uh, Gene Coyle was his name. And he was a Korean War vet and, and had been injured in battle, but there had been some records had been lost in a fire and anyway, all this stuff. And I had, I had stepped in and we did a great story about it. We're able to help him, not just me, but you know, the power of Kello and everything yeah. else. And his son was like, after this happened with Emily, can I start a poker run benefit for you? And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I didn't yes. really know anything about it. And now it's when we just raised $45,000 wow. at oh our goodness. last poker run. We had bad wow. weather. But, you know, we still raised a lot of money. And, and so we're doing a classic car show and poker run now, too, is a combined. So that was just one of, our, one of our fundraisers that we do. And it's just somebody that came alongside me. And the same thing, like, there's 
Um, something really special has happened with Emily's art, and I can talk about that too if you'd like. Yes, to talk please. About. Absolutely. We would love yes. to know. Let's do it. Well, um, the the I always wanted to preserve her art, and and Avera does have some of her art on digital display, and her paintbrush and palette actually hang in the Avera Addiction Care Center. But she left me with twenty nine paintings and several different objects, um, pottery, painted objects, and things like that. And the first year I thought, oh, I want to do an art show showcasing her art. I just want to display it. So I went to the pavilion and they were like, oh, we just happen to have a cancellation in our gallery. So let's hang up her art. So she, she got to have her art displayed, which Amazing. just, I sat, I, after it was all up on the walls, you know, this beautiful gallery, the Everest gallery, I just sat down and I just cried because I was like, oh, I wish she could have, you know, seen this uh, and experienced this. And her sister had done a series of illustrations, too, for that display. So it was just a really nice compliment. Well, we couldn't have the art show for, what, two years now because of COVID. So we weren't going to be. But now we're having the art show uh, in January of 2022. And I just I called up the Everest Gallery and they're like, well, yeah, you can you can have it here. And that's great. And everyone's stepping forward to help. But we, have, we can't put our artwork up on the walls in the gallery because we already have a display in there. And I was like, oh, shoot, how, what's that going to look like? So I get there the other day, and what the display is are trees hanging from the ceiling, and there's nothing on the walls. So it's just, like, perfect. She's a very nature girl. I yeah. loved everything. So we're going to display all of her art on easels and on pedestals and things like that and have a really great art show. So it's, all, it's just like every time I want to do something with her art, it's like, she's looking out for me. It's oh. like, I just know that, you know, she, she knows, you know, that her art lives on, you know, something that I think you said it in your blog. Um, you were speaking to another mother and you had said, let's, I want to save as many lives as we can in our children's names. And I just feel like you were doing so, just you're knocking it out of the park. I mean, when you talk about how many people are getting addiction services and then the art and how much it's raising, it really is tremendous. So when you said Emily's looking out for you, if you, if you could say, what do you think of all the things that you're doing, Angela? And it's a lot. What do you think she'd be the most proud of? Well, I think she'd be really happy about the education initiative. Yes. She loved children. You know, she was in, she was the mayor's nanny. I don't know if you guys knew that. <gasps> Paul Tenney. Okay, nanny. I love that. Yes. We, we'd heard rumblings. We, we didn't did. know for sure. Well, I wondered because is one of her art pieces up uh-huh. in the, in city hall? Yes, okay. it is. I love that. Yeah. So if Paul gets reelected, her artwork, maybe I'll stay up there for another. Yes, Paul, pay <laughs> <But>, some money. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, Paul and, and Jill is on, uh, his wife is on our art show committee um, because, you know, they knew Emily and she took care of their kids. And this is before she really, you know, had gone down this path. And she just, she loved children and she was so good with them. And she just, so I think she would really be glad about that. And I think she would also just really appreciate the fact that People are appreciating her art. I mean, just the uh, we had a Kelloland Living Arts and Crafts show out at the Ramcota a few weeks ago, and uh, our general manager asked if Emily's Hope wanted to have a booth out there, and I was like, "Of course we do." So we brought up four of her original artwork pieces out there, and then we sold. I don't sell her art. I'm not. Maybe someday it'll end up in a permanent collection somewhere, but I don't sell it. We sell prints of it, and we sell other people's art at our events. But anyway, we're selling prints. And I watched as people stopped and admired and looked at her art and pointed different things out. And to me, like, I just, she would love that to know that her art is being, 
you know, we, we incorporate her art in everything we do at Emily's Hope. So we, every, in every way we can, we incorporate her art. And I think that her, it, do, it does really, it is her legacy. It's her legacy. And you're carrying it on so beautifully oh, with so you. much grace. And we cannot thank you enough for sharing with us today. Before we go, could you please tell our listeners where they can learn more about Emily's Hope? Sure. So we're on all social media, of course. Everyone you've got, except TikTok. We're not on TikTok yet. Maybe we'll get on TikTok. (laughs) We aren't either. We can't figure it out. I started looking at TikTok recently because a friend was like, you really need to check this out. I was like, I think I'm too old. Um, no, so Emily's Hope Foundation is our website, okay. and you can find our podcast. Our podcast is available everywhere, but our my blogs and all of the information who we've helped. We have some videos with people we've helped and our impact and different things that we've been doing. So our events, all of that on Emily's Hope Foundation. Awesome. And what about your book? Where can we find your book? Angela? Also on our website, on your website, and okay. on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. We will awesome. link to all of this in the show notes. Yes. And more. Thank you for spending an evening with us. This has been a joy. It's been a joy and an honor to honor your Emily. Well, I appreciate you asking me so much. I'm so glad I met you, girl. Yes. Thank you. Us too. We are too. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Isn't It Lovely? If you love what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe by clicking on our show in your favorite podcast app and following the prompts. You can download all of our episodes on Spotify iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at www.isitnotlovely.com. And we are also on Instagram and our handle is isitnotlovelypodcast. Keep looking for the lovely in all things. Thanks for listening.